What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be able to speak. Uh, a listener from uh, Bardstown, I believe, um, sent an email saying, hey, uh, and, and I got a call from a guy this morning who listened to last week's uh, podcast. Yeah. I was asking him some questions about Elkhorn. So people are listening. But he wanted to hear about uh, trail cameras. So, uh, Phil, if you're listening, we're going to talk about trail cameras. And I responded to your email, but it bounced back. So I uh, sent it back again. Hopefully you got it. Mm-hmm. Well, today, I'll just introduce everybody. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. Hope everyone's doing well. And today's guest is Brandon Williams. Glad to be here. Brandon is not necessarily, he's not with the department. He's just, a, he's a buddy of mine. We've been friends for quite a while. Deer hunter, one of those guys that I kind of talk crap back and forth to about deer hunting. And somebody kills a small deer, we get <laughs> ragged on or rag on each other. And I've got some good pictures on my phone of Brandon and some small deer, if anybody <laughs> wants to. <laughs> No, he usually does pretty good. And actually put together some lists earlier of uh, scores of deer over the past five years. And, you know, each deer, each year I have listed out. And then I also have dates that those deer were killed for either one of us. And uh, that's kind of what I wanted to try to hit on with trail cameras and scouting in general. Um, excuse me. Because this is the time of year you need to be running trail cameras. You need to be hanging stands. You need to be getting your prep work in if you're a bow hunter. Because archery season starts in, I think, five weeks mm-hmm. or something like that. Five weeks out, you need to be trying to pick out a shooter and get your stand song because waiting until the last minute isn't the best way to do it. No. And as Brandon will tell you, one of the best times to kill a good deer is... September. September. That's my favorite time. It's a fir- Basically, it's the first weekend or first week of season, especially if the deer is still in velvet. And Brandon, you can back me up on this. It's because they're still in a routine, a pattern. Mm-hmm. So they develop a summer pattern. A lot of times you'll see deer out in the field in the daylight. And then when they shed their velvet, the bucks, especially the mature bucks, start to turn more nocturnal. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot harder to find them on their feet in the daytime. So if you can take advantage of that first first week of the season and you have a pattern already figured out and a deer located, you put yourself in a really good position to kill a deer. And that's kind of what Brandon does. I kind of do it differently, <laughs> and I, I mean, I still kill a good deer just about every year. I think if I run down the list, our last five years, um, mine are 135, 137, 155, 142, 131, Brandon, 116, that's a small deer I make fun of. Yeah, that's a long time. I'm not saying 116 small, because a lot of people would be happy yeah, with that. It was, I mean, but, it was a... I, but based on what you had on camera that year, it wasn't what you were after. No, not at all. So compared to like the deer that you wanted. Mm-hmm. So 123, 145, 158, 142. That comes up to a five-year average for Brandon of 136.8 and myself right around 140. If you go back to the year before that, I'm 138, Brandon's 134. Those pretty respectable numbers. Yeah. And that's every year a buck with a bow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's some data that I think you can look at. And especially if you look at the dates of those kills and you look at the two different ways that me and Brandon go about preparing for deer season, you can kind of see a trend. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, Brandon's dates on his harvest are September 11th, October 22nd, September 4th, September 22nd, September 7th. Okay, so on a, the average date is September 18th for Brandon. For me, 11-7, 10-22, so November 7th, October 22nd, October 21st, November 8th, October 5th. My average date is October 23rd. So there's a little over a month in between the average day that we that we take our deer, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes down to how we prepare preseason. Brandon will argue with me all day that his way's better. If you want to kill an earlier deer. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying. Don't you think there's a belief that September is too hot, I'm going to wait. A lot of people uh, feel that we way. We have friends that hate September. They won't even go until mid-October because... Now, when you take one that hot, you need to immediately get on it with yes. a bag of ice and yes. the gut cavity and yeah. correct. Yes. And I'm, if you make a poor shot on a deer, you may not get his meat because you may not find him till the next day. Or, and I mean, then it's ruined. Correct? It's ruined. So there's definitely pros and cons with shooting a deer that early. Yeah. But like I said, if you can get them on a pattern, and especially if you have a specific location figured out they're coming in, your chances of making a high-quality shot are probably a little bit better, too. Yeah. Because, like, for in Brandon's instance, he can probably tell you preseason within a 10-foot area of where that deer is going to be standing. With me, 
shooting later in the year, less patterned deer, they can come through almost anywhere. You know, so I mean, the shot's probably a little bit tougher in that situation where you're like, oh, he's, he's behind me, he's over here. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to talk a little bit about what you do preseason, how you run your trail cameras, kind of what your routine is, because you have a routine, mm -hmm. and I wanted to compare it to mine. Okay. And I think that the difference in those routines kind of goes into the your average date of harvest is in September, halfway through September, and mine's at the end of October. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? What are you doing right now? Right now, I have five different small properties that I'm running cameras on, mm -hmm. and each property has about three, four cameras each. Okay, so you got about fifteen cameras out there. Yeah, fifteen cameras on five different small properties. Yeah, and each year. I can usually find a, a big deer on one of those farms. I mean, not every farm is going to have a big deer on it every year. Yeah. So, but usually, if I run that many cameras on that many farms, I'm going to find a good deer. Mm -hmm. And I'll feed corn. I'll go in. I'll put minerals out in turkey season, and I'll start feeding corn so in July. Start, yeah, start feeding corn in July. Yeah. And checking your cameras how often? Once a week. So you're out there feeding corn on what a weekly basis? Yep. Weekly basis. Some farms I'll go on a Wednesday. Some farms I'll go on a Thursday. I mean, it's just I try to break it up throughout the week, and it keeps me pretty busy. <laughs> That's a lot of work. It is a lot of work, but hauling corn in there. I love doing it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, love, I love getting pictures. If it's part of what you enjoy, then yeah. yeah okay. It's not work. Flipping through trail camera pictures is a lot of fun. It is, especially it's, when you've got that one it's you're looking Christmas for. every time you go. I mean, <laughs> sometimes there's just nothing under the tree. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so using corn as part of your strategy to lure yeah. people. Mm -hmm. to your camera so you can get a peek? Yeah, it is. And Will you hunt over those same spots later, I said? I right? do. I do. I try to, where I put my corn is where I'll hang my stand 20 yards away or whatever and and uh, just try to set myself up for, you know, there's also, you got to think of wind and all that stuff where you hang your stand and your access and your, in, your entrance and or your uh, exit, I'm sorry. Yeah. Lee, do me a favor. You button one button up. I'm worried that microphone's flopped over a little too far. Appreciate it. So when, Is this better? Oh, yeah. So when you're talking about the wind and everything, well, actually, let's just come back to that because that's strategy of how you set your stand up based yeah. on where they do. So we'll come back to that. But basically, you're telling me, and I've known this forever, is that you have a weekly routine each farm. You keep corn on the ground. You're in there checking cameras. You're not too awful worried about scent, are you? Not at all. You've told me before you I, want the deer to know you're there. I drive my vehicle straight to every every feed spot. Mm -hmm. and, and I know the deer hear me when I'm coming. They know that I'm there. Yeah. And a lot of times when I leave, I'll get pick, start getting pictures of deer 20 minutes later. Yeah. So they are... They know what I'm doing. Because yeah. you know that, that every every week like that, they, they figure out what you're doing there. Yeah, it's like a dinner bell for them. Yeah. So in a... In a Summary, basically, you are developing a pattern with the deer. It's like a relationship with the deer. <laughs> you have a relationship with the deer. Yeah, they, 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 like, they like to hear me coming. And so what I do is pretty different from what Brandon does. I go in there and I put a camera up and I put it over a trail. I put it over a crossing. I look for a, a funnel or a pinch point near a bedding area where I know, okay, there's going to be deer in this bedding area. They will be coming through this, this spot. I don't, I don't put corn out there, and I get many less pictures, and I get the deer less consistently individually. So he probably gets the same deer every day. I might get that, that deer once a week. You know what I mean? And I go and I check my trail cameras about once a month. Usually I put them out, I check them one time, and make it the decision, okay, do I have something there or do I not? And then I'll, I'll hang a stand close by if I don't already have one. And then the next time I go is opening day of season or the first day of season that I have good wind and good opportunity. And so my whole method, let me see, I got bullet points. Locate pinch points, funnels from petting areas, hang camera, put out maybe minerals, leave it for a month. Um, look for a good day to head back out, hunt it only on right conditions. Usually pays off during pre-rut when bucks come less nocturnal. Okay, so I'm trying to figure out where the deer are traveling on their natural pattern and I go in there as little as possible try to stay scent free and I try not to let the deer know that I'm, I'm there at all so my method is kind of avoidance I don't want the deer to be there I don't want or I don't want them to be there when I'm there I don't want them to know I was there at all I can stay out as much as I can Brandon's method is kind of interaction with the deer he's actually developing a pattern getting them used to him so it's completely different right mm-hmm 
And both both methods work if you look at our numbers. I mean, I feel like that's not bad. We we both do well with. I know there's people out there that kill bigger deer. Yeah. And uh, but as far as our group of people that we kind of hang out with and stuff, I mean, really, it's just about dedication to the hunting and a lot of Brandon's dedication and a lot of his work comes on the front end of season. Mm -hmm. He's out there putting in a lot of hours before season starts. A lot of my dedication time comes during season because mm -hmm. I'm hunting about a month and a half longer than Brandon on average and I'm out there every chance I get during season. So it's more time during season for me putting time in the woods. It's more time before season for Brandon preparing for season. And that's just something I thought was kind of interesting when I started crunching these numbers is both methods work, getting in there and being active with the deer, feeding them, going in your spot a whole lot. That can work. You can kill good deer. And if you do it right, you can get a good deer early. Mm -hmm. And my method also, also works, but it just <clears throat> takes a little bit longer during the season. Does that make sense at all, Lee? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, you're somebody who probably doesn't run trail cameras, doesn't do a lot of bow hunting. So, I mean, what kind of questions would you have about that? Because it's hard for me to look at it from a non-bow hunter standpoint to see. Well, the divergent philosophies, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Placing bait and then drawing deer in versus letting uh, being stealthy. My brother runs them, mm -hmm. uh, but he puts food plots. So mm -hmm. he does it similar. He just didn't. Sometimes yeah. he puts out corn, but he puts down rape and some mm -hmm. other stuff. Yeah. And then he'll put out a trail camera. And, and last fall, a buddy of mine who's fairly novice deer hunter uh, killed his biggest 10 point last year. It's mm -hmm. beautiful, beautiful buck um, <clears throat> over his food plot. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but in all honesty, like you could walk there in five minutes from his house. It's <laughs> well, on his own property. Brandon's deer, Brandon's deer last year. I mean, he could forty yards out the back door. Yeah. Well, he doesn't hunt out his back door. No, 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 no. I mean, it was uh, it was a tree stand, but you could literally. I mean, it's forty yards behind my house. Yeah, I mean, when, uh, late summer before deer season starts, like the two weeks before deer season, it's like be quiet on the back porch. Mm -hmm. I watched the, the night I shot my deer, I watched my mom and girlfriend on the back porch walking around talking. I could see that from my, my deer stand. <laughs> and then I could hear what they were saying. <laughs> and he puts up a little tent. Yeah. You know, the little oh, tent line. line yeah. yeah. And, um, and does well, gets a good one every year. Oh, so there's a lot of divergent. He only puts out one right by, you know, he puts out one camera, I think, maybe he has two, but I think it's just one. Mm -hmm. And he uses a deer plot the same way he uses yeah. uh, corn. But and, the problem uh, with the, the food plots, well, it's not a problem with them. It's and inconvenience is you have to have ground to do a food plot. Mm -hmm. And the farms that me and Brandon are hunting, we don't own. We get permission yeah. there and the farmers have crops out. It's not like we can just say, okay, I'm gonna take this acre and do yeah. this with it. So that's why. I mean, his are very small. I mean, they're yeah. the size of the studio. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, and his dove fields, half acre yeah. when we do them, you know. I will. But th he's also killed a lot over his, yeah. after dove season, he'll hunt over his. Uh, I will say this too. I think that this data and the two different philosophies here, are only relevant to archery season up to gun season. Because mm -hmm. once a rut kicks in, it all goes out the window. Yeah. There's, I almost think that if you were just somebody who's gonna hunt the rut, scouting to know what deer you have is a good idea, but scouting patterns and scouting locations like specific to this is this funnel or this trail is where this deer is gonna be, kind of goes out the window. Because yeah. those deer, are, I mean, they're running across wide open fields at one o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And things just completely go to hell in a handbasket. But, shoot, I had a good point I was gonna come back to. What was it? Oh yeah, so earlier when I was reading through my things, I said that my strategy usually pays off during the pre-rut. And I feel like that's because I'm, I'm locating a deer and I'm locating their general area, but in mid-September, late September, that deer's still nocturnal. Mm -hmm. And I make it a point not to get too close. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to go in that bedding area. And typically, on on any form of hunt, there's a bedding area that I kind of have, you know, highlighted in my mind, and that's a do not touch area. Don't go in there. Don't disturb it. Don't bump those deer. That's their safe area. And I know I leave scent when I go to and from my stands or trail cameras, and those deer might smell it, but you know they still have their safe area, and they're going to stay there. So if I locate a deer, chances are he's going to be there whenever. He finally decides to slip up and make that mistake and make a move in daylight, which is what happens pre-rut. Start getting some hormones going, the days are getting shorter and temperatures are dropping. So they'll get out there, you know, in the morning, they'll be heading back to their bedding area. It's, and it's daylight out in the evening. They'll come out of their bedding area before dark and start heading out to feed. And that, that's when I usually catch them. And that's when my average date is 10:23, because the middle of October is when that activity starts happening. 
and Brandon's dates early because they're still on that pattern in early September, and that's when he catches them. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of does lately in the heat of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think there's something going on right now. I've seen a lot of deer lately in the middle of the day. Um, do you think it's because there's so much corn out? It's been so wet, or I mean, but you know, the corn hasn't matured yet. I just I'd have to talk to Gabe or a biologist. I mean, it's to me, I, it's been striking. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot for this time of year. Normally, you don't see that. Well, I feel like this time of year, I, I I do feel like I see a lot of deer normally this time of year out and about during the daytime. I'm not sure if it has something to do with the moon phase. That's, that's what I always pressure. I, that's a question for Gabe or a biologist. Yeah. But I do think activity is up right now. I mean, I sent Brandon a, a video of a good buck I saw it. That was a that was a big deer. Really nice deer crossing the road right in front of me at one or it was like four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, it was, it was right, right about four thirty Friday. Hot, yeah. hot. And I'm one seeing, ran right across Peaks Mill Road. <laughs> I'm seeing does and fawns. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot. Of, I was fishing Russell Creek uh, last week and I startled a fawn. I thought I heard Mama just kind of like talking to me a little bit, like, "Hey, you need to go on." <laughs> and I was like, "What are these unusual noises?" And then uh, I moved and I spooked the, the little fawn, and it, it kind of scared me too because I didn't. It was really close. I was like, "Oh, oh, well, it's fawn." But then I thought that, "Wow, that's unusual." Yeah. yeah. Normally they're bedding and especially with like chilling. This how hot it's been. I know it was yeah. really hot. Today. Yeah. So you know, sometimes when you've done something for a long time, it's hard to think of it as a beginner again. You know, like if like me and you, we've been running trail cameras for. 15 years now, mm -hmm. half our life. But at the beginning, when we first started doing it, well, trail cameras were a lot different. I remember going to get film developed at Kroger mm -hmm. to try. See, I'm, I'm you didn't the, do that? I never that was did probably that. the first two, one or two years that I ran trail camera. I had a film trail camera. And I have to buy film for it and put it out there and hope it. Imagine, you know, you probably go check trail cameras sometimes right now and have 3,000 pictures. Oh, more. Well, that wasn't possible. <laughs> Usually film. more, yeah. I could get 120 pictures on my camera and that's it. So. It was the same way when I was. Started with a magazine, we shot slide film. Yeah. And you, you bring maybe three rolls. And yeah. That was a lot. That's 36, three, 36 rolls. You had a great day. Now, you do that in an hour with <laughs> people who are just. And half of them be junk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. People who are just starting to use trail cameras these days will never know the struggles of. Our early trail cameras were not that great. That's one of the things that Phil brought up in the email. It's like, you know, there's some new trail cameras, there's some new technology that's yeah. come on the last couple of years. Now, some of the best technology that's come on the past few years, I don't have any experience with. And I don't know if you have any cell cams. I would love, I mean, I would love that, but I would no. too. I mean, and it's a trail camera that, I mean, just sends the pictures to your phone. For yours, the way you do things, that would be great for you. Yeah, I would love it. I know people that do it that way. Yeah. And like Bobby Carey Sr has a, a cell cam yeah. and he can literally be sitting there having his morning coffee and he's getting the picture sent to him. Oh, my buck's there right now. Yeah. And that would be really cool. Especially mm -hmm. during the rut, you get a buck in there and you know that he's there right then. Yeah. Go hunting that night. Be there. Yeah. Or just hit, hit the ground running right then and there. But I mean, I don't know. I, I, it probably has a different experience because like you said earlier, it's like Christmas every time you go. Mm -hmm. And it is a lot of fun to run trail cameras. And not just for deer, I mean, I've ran them for coyotes before, yeah. for carcasses, just mm -hmm. running trail cameras in general, because you get to see, you, know, you just learn a lot more about what's going on. Mm -hmm. You get to figure out what's there, and I don't know, it's, it's a way to learn about the, the wildlife in the area, and that applies to everything. But I don't know if there would be a, a missed experience if you had a cell cam, if it was just sending pictures straight to you. Versus going out there and putting the SD card in and flipping through the pictures like, uh, yeah. what's that scene in Toy Story? You know the one I'm talking about where the little pig has a remote and he's flipping through the channels 100 miles an hour? That's what it is when you're doing trail cameras. Oh, just looking for a rack is what I do. Yeah, I just flip through those pictures as quick as my finger. Yeah. I hit the, hit the button and then I see a rack and go back. I go back and, I mean, when you see that first big rack each year. Oh, it just yeah. makes your heart skip. Yep, <laughs> it does. Like seeing a trail camera picture can literally get you so excited to go deer hunting. Mm -hmm. And when you see that first really good deer on trail camera, all of a sudden in September, the first Saturday of September can't come soon enough. Yeah. What, uh, what so, are the cost of those higher end ones? Well, some of the high end ones are four or five hundred bucks. Yeah, but they're all getting better. You can get a really good one for hundred dollars now. I mean, for a hundred bucks now, you can get a good one. You can get a camera that five years ago would have been the very top of the line. Yeah. For, you know, like a five hundred, six hundred dollar yeah. trail camera. So, I mean, even for 50 bucks right now, you can get a decent trail camera. And after season goes out, you can go find a sale. Like I think yeah. a, a Rural King last year, they had uh, trail cameras for 50 bucks that were like 120. And I mean, you look at the features on them, pretty top of the line. They take decent pictures too. 
As far as the features on a trail camera that you want to look for, it's probably different for me and Brandon too based on our setups because he's got the deer that are coming in they're staying there in that spot for quite a while. I don't think trigger time is as important to you. It's not. As it is to me. Because when I got a deer that's just walking down a trail, the trigger time is how long it takes that camera between sensing motion to actually take a picture. Mm -hmm. And some of them it's half a second, some of them it's one second, some, mm -hmm. some cameras it might be two seconds. And that half a second to one second difference makes a big difference when you're talking about getting a good clear picture or just getting the back end of something. Mm -hmm. And so think about that when you're looking for a trail camera. Quality, photo quality on all of them is pretty dang good now. Yeah. I mean, I think I remember it used to be like two megapixels and now all of them are eight. Eight 10, or better, yeah. Yeah. So photo quality is not an issue, especially in the daytime. You get some trail cameras to take pictures that look like they were taken on an iPhone, which is pretty dang clear. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see, what other? The number of infrared lights is another thing that some people look for. Mm -hmm. If you're doing like me, a lot of my trail cameras are set up in the woods with, I mean, brush and stuff close by. You don't need a whole lot of infrared lights because you're going to overexpose it. Not, it's just a bright light yeah. that you can't see. Yeah, I mean, the infrared lights, obviously, you can't see them with your naked eye. There's some, I don't know if there's a camera still being offered that has a flashbulb light anymore. There probably is. I think Cuddybacks might still have those. So, but that, that's all there used to be when yeah. I first started. Yeah. And so for Brandon, he's usually getting pictures in a more open area. A deer might be 40 yards in the background. So maybe having more infrared lights helps. I want as many as possible. Yeah. Usually. So if somebody's going out there and buying a trail camera, looking at trail cameras, think about your setup and think about your location. And does trigger time really matter to you? Well, maybe if you're expecting to get passing deer and if you're planning on having deer sitting right out in front of you, maybe not. As far as other features go, you've got how many photos per second, you know, the delay between cameras and all of them are so similar now. I don't, I mean, you can pretty much set, set them to take three photos a second in mm -hmm. a two second interval if you want to or you can set them to take one photo every 30 seconds or like mine goes up to like 20 minutes even one yeah yeah and that matters more for you know the way i'm doing it i don't i might have a deer cross in front of my camera once a day twice a day mm -hmm. brandon he's probably going to have deer in front of his camera for an hour and a half duration every day yeah you know so he doesn't want to set his to three photos a second on a five second interval because mm -hmm. he's gonna I gotta be out, careful or I'll, I'll fill my card up, yeah. He's gonna fill his card up. I can leave my camera out there for a month on a three shot burst at a five second interval and I might only have 400 pictures. You know what I mean? Like it's not, so when you set up your camera, kind of think about how many, how, how many deer are gonna be in front of your camera for a while because just because when a deer walks in front of your camera, if it hangs out for 30 minutes, it's gonna snap that photo every time that duration set to and you might end up with a 1,500 pictures of the same deer if you have a set wrong. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure we covered that perfectly, but those are some of the features of a trail camera. And when you're setting one up, those are things to think about when you're hanging it on the tree and flipping those settings. What, what, what am I missing, Brandon? Like, what do you think about with trail cameras? Uh, location? What do you think about? A, I was thinking location. location. How do you set yours up? I hunt a lot of grain farms. Yeah. Say I'm looking, say I go into a bean field and I'm trying to find a place to find where to put the camera well, first of facing all, the beans. You like hunting, I, I like to hunt in the woods. I like hunting. Like, I don't necessarily need a field edge to shoot. Yeah. Do you like hunting in the woods or on the field edge? Uh, field edge is yeah. my favorite. So there's another difference right there. Yeah. And field edges are great travel corridors too. Yeah. Say you got a bean field, I mean, they're going to go eat the beans. I mean, that's, and I look, I look for uh, forage pressure. Uh -huh. I'll, I'll find the beans that are topped a lot shorter than the others. And well, as you can tell when they've been topped off, yeah. it'll just be a stem with no yeah. leaves. You can tell which yeah. beans have been eaten and which ones haven't. If you go out there after a rain, you can see the tracks. Yeah, same way with corn. You, you look for where they're hitting the corn the hardest in the cornfields. and try to, try to also look for trails entering and exiting the field. Yeah. I mean, because there will be obvious spots, especially, especially if the field has you know, weed growth and stuff yeah. on the edge of the tree line, you'll see spots where those deer are coming in and out. Mm -hmm. And that's where you need to think about your stand location. Because if you just put your stand in the wrong spot relative to where they're gonna enter and exit the field and where they're gonna feed in the field at, then you've screwed yourself. Mm -hmm. Creek crossings are good for cameras and- I love creek crossings. Yeah, me too. But the number one most important thing when you're hunting deer is always wind or scent, okay? So what I try to keep in mind when I'm setting up a stand 
is where my scent is most likely going to be and where those deer are most likely going to be. Mm-hmm. I don't want my I don't want to cross a trail on the way in that I think those deer are going to be coming down before they get to me. Mm-hmm. So I think about my in, entrance and exit to the stand relative to where the deer are going to be moving at and I try to avoid crossing the trails, right? And I need to be able to get close enough to get a shot of the deer either on the trail or in the field. But I can't set myself up so that my wind is blowing to where those deer are going to be. And so typically I just think wind out of the west. That's our most common wind. Especially, I mean, sometimes you get that weird east wind, but typically wind out of the west. So if possible, I like to set myself up in somewhat of an east orientation to where I think Mm -hmm. the deer are going to be or where they're going to be coming from. And if I do that, I mean, there will be some days you can't hunt, but more days than not you're going to be able to. And then that way you avoid getting winded or, or crossing a deer trail and leaving your scent down or anything like that. And those are probably the most important things oh, to setting up a stand. I mean, I think giving yourself a shot opportunity and knowing where the deer are going to be relative to where your wind's going to be blowing are probably the two most important mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, those are definitely the most important things. Yeah. A second ago, you said something about hunting creek crossings. Yeah. And that's when my stand this year, my number one stand that I'm looking forward to being in, is going to be over top of a creek. And I'm lucky that creek runs north-south. Because my wind, if it's coming from the west, is still going to be blowing to the east. Mm -hmm. But if you hunt a creek and your wind is blowing somewhat diagonal to that creek, like it's coming in at like a half value, kind of blowing crossways, Mm -hmm. it's going to hit that creek and travel it. Mm -hmm. It's like a, a highway that carries scent. So if you've got a, a deer down the creek from you, even if even if, you. even if you don't think your wind's blowing right towards it, I mean, if he gets his nose in that channel of creek air, he's going to get you. Yeah. Creeks and, I mean, it's kind of weird how... I mean, how bad do we stink to a deer? Well, Pretty bad. <laughs> I think I saw it some, one time. Humans have like 5 million scent receptors, and deer have like 272 million or 220-something. I mean, it's a lot. It's I mean, it's... Think about that long snout, that whole thing's a nose. Just under a bloodhound, I think is what it was. Mm-hmm. Well, blood, bears have the best yeah. sense of smell. I was saying somewhere the other day, a bear sense of smell is like seven times that of a bloodhound. Yeah, that's crazy. They can smell a mate from 100 miles away up in yeah. Alaska, yeah. polar bears and stuff. I'm glad, I mean, think about trying to bow hunt one of those. They use peanut butter and they say they can smell yeah. two spoon of peanut butter a mile away yeah. to get hair samples and yeah. stuff. Yeah. But you, you can't, I mean, people, you know, washing their clothes and and this is a good spraying, spraying, all spraying all that stuff. I mean, it, I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't help, but if they're downwind, they're going to smell you, and if yep. they're not, they won't. That's all there is to it. That's what I tell everybody. And I'll tell you what, when I was like, and I'm young, I mean, I'm only 30, Brandon here is only 28 or 27 or something. 27. So when I first started deer hunting and that scent stuff came out, I was all about it. Yeah. Wash my clothes every time well, before I, I go. friends of mine are still are. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I'm not of, against it. I, mean, I do think it but helps. It's, it's it helps a little, but it's not. I mean, they're going to smell you no matter what. Aside from rubber boots, I don't, I, I don't put a whole lot into the scent stuff. The rubber boots, I think, are important because I mean, not only are they a good hunting tool, they keep your feet dry, but they keep your scent off the ground. I wouldn't want to wear my tennis shoes deer hunting. No. But as soon as you put that spray on, I mean, ninety percent of your odor comes from your mouth when you yeah. breathe. So are you holding your breath the whole time you're hunting, yeah, or yeah. are you still putting ninety percent of your odor so, into there? Yeah, an onion sandwich. It doesn't really matter. No. <laughs> I mean, if you go to White Castle before you go eat, no, I mean, no. they're going to smell. They're going to smell. I mean, a deer, a deer's going to smell you every time if it gets downwind. And some people will tell you a story like, "Oh, I put, you know, I used this product, and that deer was right downwind, and it didn't smell me." I've had that happen to me before too, when I know I stink. Yeah. And sometimes the deer just don't care. You know, I've had a buck walk five yards downwind of me and just well, stand during there. the rut. Probably he's like during the rut. I don't think they're nearly as sensitive to it. Well, and sometimes you just find a deer. They're like a teenage boy with a, yeah. you know, yeah. his first girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, sometimes they just don't care as much. I think way. the scent stuff. I think it, it might give you an extra few seconds to react if you have to, or it could. But maybe still the smell. deer won't know exactly how close you are to them. You know, I don't know, but I don't put a whole lot of. Yeah, well, I started having that philosophy of. Uh, I don't care as much about my scent control. I care more about my wind direction. Yes. I care more about that. I, I started having more of that philosophy through coyote hunting. Because... Mm-hmm. That's, exa- that's exactly what got me yeah. more thinking about it. When you coyote hunt, you'll realize that... It How matter. you smell doesn't matter. No. Because they all... I mean, it's deer don't necessarily wind you from 250 yards away and let you know about it. 
a coyote smells you 300 yards away, it's gone. It's gone. So you, it, they'll let you know about it every single time. And a deer and a coyote sense of smell isn't that much different. I think coyotes can smell a little bit better, but I don't know. It's I think the when deer freak out about scent is when all of a sudden they walk into it and they're like, oh, that's oh crap, that's. That's 40 close. yards away. That's close. That's that's close. Mm-hmm. I think deer smell you from two and three hundred yards all the time and just don't even care. Yeah. I mean, they have to, and then there's just not enough remote areas around here where they can't not smell humans. Well, yeah. that's kind of a benefit, too. Yeah, I mean, that's, it definitely helps. Hunting, like, uh, you know, I never have mule deer hunted, so I don't really know, but can you imagine hunting out there where they're Oh, they smell a human. Months? That's the first human they've smelled in two months. I know, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. And, uh, shoot, we were talking about hunting creeks a second ago, and spooking deer got me thinking about this. But I think that the, a creek is a natural barrier in a deer's mind, okay? Not, not maybe not a small creek that you can jump across, but a big creek like the size of Elkhorn or Brashears or something like that, a creek that's 20 yards across. I feel like when a deer's on one side of that creek, they aren't too awful concerned about what's on the other side of the creek. It seems like they feel safer with that water barrier there. And I felt like I've been so obvious to deer before, sitting on the ground on the side of the creek, and they just don't even look my direction because when they're on the other side of the creek. Because I feel like they think that they're safe. They have that water in between them and whatever's over there, and they just feel a little more at ease. They don't understand the um, logistics of how an arrow mm-hmm. can just fly right across that creek. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun way to hunt deer over yeah. a creek. Yeah, but I completely agree with what Brandon said about the scent control and, I mean, the wind direction. If you're somebody who's just looking to get into deer hunting, wind direction, mm-hmm. wind direction, wind direction. That and learn how to use your equipment. What techniques do you use for very light wind? Um, well, we'll say to that, figure out okay which way is it blowing. That I mean, this is another argument me and Brandon have had many times. Because I say, just pick up some grass and sprinkle just it like in the a wind. Golfer. Just, yeah. yeah, just sprinkle some grass in the wind to see which way it's blowing. Brandon tells me that's completely unnecessary because he can feel where which way it's hitting his face. I can usually can, feel. I mean, I feel like I can anyway. <laughs> he calls me an, an idiot for wanting to pick up grass and drop it in the wind because he <laughs> says, can't you feel it hitting your face? I can tell it's blowing that way. And sometimes you can, but in a really light wind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I usually get on my phone and I'll look at the weather app and I'll just see what it's telling me where the wind's coming from. That's how I plan. But the one thing you'll find is that... It's ba- not always right. Well, it's not always right, but... The lighter the wind is, the less likely it is to be right. If they say 10 mile an hour wind out of the west, chances are the wind's coming out of the west. Yeah. If they say two to three mile an hour wind, you could find anything when you get there. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with uh, landscape features yeah. around you. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Maybe when it you could funnel in, it could be coming in and funnel it and it's blowing up. You get down in a hall or something, yeah. it could be completely backwards. Oh, completely backwards. And that's what I was going to say. When you get a spot in mind, you want to hunt, and you get up in your stand for the first time, you know, take note of what the wind direction is outside that day and then see where what it is at your stand. Because if you hunt near a creek, there's a good chance, like I said, it's not gonna be right. And if you hunt on the downside of a big hill, I mean, it could be doing anything. Unless it's coming out of the field and hitting that hill, mm-hmm. I mean, if it's coming over the top of the hill towards you, a lot of times I find that it kind of rotates in the, in the holler. Mm-hmm. So test your wind direction before you get in the stand for the first time to try to see what you think it might be. Cause I mean, I have certain stands where I'm like, all right, wind out of the Northeast, that means it's gonna be blowing straight out of the North in that spot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I mean, if I really wanna hunt a buck, I'll go with a Northeast wind where a North wind is a no-no. You know what I mean? Or, I mean, I, that, that half value between a North and a Northeast or an East and a Northeast matters to me. East wind, what are your opinions? It slows the deer down, that's my opinion. I really don't know. I, I have really have no comment on the on the east wind. Yeah, I think it's more. It's kind of like fishing, is what Lee's getting at. There's yeah. a saying: yeah. uh, wind out of the west, fish bite best. Wind out of the east, fish bite least. Yeah. And the thing about the east wind, it's usually post frontal. I mean, typically after the front passes, it'll go in a clockwise manner. Yeah. So it may be blowing from say the northwest to the southeast, mm-hmm. and then that low passes over you. Yeah. Then it's shifted and mm-hmm. now it's blowing straight mm-hmm. out of the east that's why i think the, the wind because it's post frontal yeah. and the fish have went down well that's probably true with the fish with the deer they're still there they're still existing in the exact same area they yeah. were in before and they have to eat and they're still there they have to do everything but my idea is that deer set up their patterns based on what they feel safe doing right yeah. so they set their patterns up of to move just the exact same way we set ours up to hunt them yeah. based on the wind 
you know. So they, their their nose is their best defense against anything. Mm -hmm. So when they have a wind that is a typical wind, they feel most comfortable. Yeah. So when the wind comes out of the opposite direction that they're, they're used to, more they're kind of like, you know what, might just wait until dark tonight. Yeah, or I, I could, you know, I think the same thing. And I, I think it's just a, this is a little bit abnormal. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna take less risk. You know, I do a lot of bird hunting. I've noticed bluebird days typically are bad, yeah. just like fishing. Oh yeah. I'd rather, would you rather hunt deer in a light rain? Oh yeah. Or I like, I do, I do enjoy that. Does, does it suppress scent? Do you think? I don't. I don't know. I'm not an expert on I don't, know, I don't either. I'd love to fish in a light rain. That's yeah. what I think yeah. they bite better. Yeah. And um, I've shot a lot of doves, and days when it's been rain, stop. Rain, stop. As soon as the rain yeah. stops, they'll come out. You know. well, when think, the rain stops, after raining all day longer mm -hmm. for two days straight, yeah, I, yeah, love, yeah. I love that I'm out there. I'm oh, that's every true time. with anything, though. Yeah. I mean, I think the birds, they need to dry off the deer. Yeah. They might have you know been hunkered down, ready to get up and move. But... As far as rain goes with deer hunting, I don't care if it's raining. I'll uh, be I out there. Either. I've hunted, you know, 30 mile an hour winds and beaten rain before. Last year we went to Indiana and hunted for a solid day. It didn't quit raining. It was yeah, it soaked. It I was took, miserable. I took uh, like a Gore-Tex gear, like dry gear, and it was holding the moisture in. And yeah. by the end of the day, I mean, there's just nothing you can do. But I mean, even the highest end stuff, yeah. pouring rain, you're, yeah. it's going to get through directly. Yeah. A few, what are like, Brandon, like I pointed out these numbers earlier, he doesn't get to hunt a whole lot in October, November. But uh, there are a few days where, and when the conditions are like I want them to be, I'm going to be in the woods. And that's why I'm glad I have comp time here. Because mm -hmm. I just take that comp time and yeah. I go hunting. But, um, so the first, first weekend of September, Always, I'm always going to be there because that's like Brandon said, one of your best times to kill a deer, especially if you know where one is, because they're still going to be moving in the daylight at that point. Mm -hmm. And I've always wanted a velvet buck, and that's the only time to get that. Next time that I'm like, all right, this is must hunt, is that kind of second weekend of October time. Mm -hmm. If it when the you know the temperatures are dropping, if it gets cloudy, if it gets you know cooler out noticeably, all of a sudden, put me in the woods early to mid-October, the first time that those temperatures really drop off and it's 40 degrees in the morning and, you know, 55 in the in the afternoons, I, I'm going to be there because I feel like that's when those deer kind of start getting on their feet. Mm -hmm. And then activity just picks up and picks up and picks up through November and then gun season starts. And nothing against gun season, but that's my get out of the woods card. <laughs> that's my get out of the woods because, I mean, I'm... I'm a bow hunter. I, I gun hunt for does, but as far as my buck tag goes, I want to punch it with a bow every year. Yeah. And so it's kind of like... Gun season could also be a time, though, where this big deer living over on this farm gets scared from this farm to your farm. Does it stir them up? Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, I, they have, people, I mean more, more so people many people woods. out there that's just... Orange you, army hits You never woods. know what you're going to see out there. Gun season is a fun time to be in the woods. I, I like gun season just for that fact. You never know what's going to come running yeah. through I mean, your farm. Whether it's just something rutting, because those deer will run creeks, they'll run tree lines, and I mean, so we have a bunch of buddies that run trail cameras too, right? And what was it last year that one buck went from Ben's trail cameras to Caleb's trail cameras, it was like two point something miles. Oh, it was, yeah, it was really far, and then to Spencer's trail camera. Yeah, so and that deer covered three and a half, four miles? At least, I mean, it was a huge area. Yeah, and I mean, you could kind of look at the map and look at where the trail cameras were placed, and you're like, all right, well, he probably ran this tree line and this wood line, maybe he circled this creek. And, yeah. I mean, you can see how it's very possible if a deer gets moving, looking for a hot doe, how they can just go mm -hmm. and go and go. I've got trail cameras that are about 1.2 miles apart on different farms with a creek, a highway, and a big open cattle field in between the two of them, and I've gotten the same deer on those two. How far would you say my cameras are from like Scott and Corey's and over there? Uh, I don't know. Yours is probably less than a mile. You think so? Probably a thousand yards, maybe more. And we you share, guys get the same We share around. a lot of the same deer. Yeah. I mean, all the way to Caleb's cameras. Yeah. Caleb's camera to your cameras probably got to be at least a thousand yards. Mm -hmm. I mean, those deer move. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to... And they move more than people think they do. Even in early season, they they will sometimes... I don't know what makes them do that, but... I'd say a lot of it has to do with the land features too, though. Yeah. Because I found that a lot of times I have certain deer that really hunker down. Yeah. I don't think they move. And then uh, other deer, I mean, and honestly, the the main farm that I hunt, Brandon, it's like there's a line drawn down the middle of it. You almost never see deer from this side go to this side. Really? And it might be because of all the stuff that's going on in the middle. Yeah, there's a, it's a busy area. It's a very busy area. So, I mean, deer just, we kind of got off topic there. In summary, this is the time you need to be getting ready for deer season. You need to be scouting. Running trail cameras is the best way to scout. 
especially when the leaves are green and the corn is tall, you can't get out there with the corn spider. looks great this year. Oh, yeah. My God's rocking. Oh, the farmer's got to be happy. Mm -hmm. I know some people that hunt with, that scout with a spotting scope over soybeans, mm -hmm. and they have really good luck. That's fun. To, it's a fun way to do it. You get out there and just kind of glass from 800 or 1,000 yards and watch the deer. But got to get eyes on them, got to figure out what you have, and got to figure out where they're at. Yeah. So pre-trail cam, most people just of an evening went out to their favorite spot and glassed, correct? I, that's, oh, I'm sure that's the way. I would have been doing that if, if I didn't have trail cams. The first few years I deer hunted, I didn't have trail cameras. And I remember me and you would sit on top of a barn yeah. out there and- I and still hunt that Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Sorry. I remember, Do you still do that? I or? do, I climb on top of my vehicle. And I enjoy doing that, yeah. At certain spots, I will I park. think that'd be more fun sometimes it is. than just looking at pictures. picture. It is. Camera. The problem is we hunt crops, like he said, a lot of grain. So there's soybeans or there's corn in all the fields. If there's corn, just don't even bother. But if there's soybeans, sometimes you have to get up high. That's why we get on top of a barn. That's why I climb on top of my vehicle. And sometimes you might not see a deer, and then all of a sudden a rack just lifts mm -hmm. up out of the beans. And that's, that's pretty awesome, too. Do you ever have concerns that so many trail cameras are going to put pressure on the bigger bucks because there's so much more knowledge of their movements? Or do you think they're That's, not impacted by it? Well, the big bucks, the average- They know our way so well. Average age of a deer that gets killed in Kentucky is three and a half years old. That's the average life expectancy of a deer. So the turnaround time for a deer to being born into being a, an, a, an adult deer is so short. I mean, it's one year, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Then they're breeding. Like doves, they only, a lot of people don't realize. Doves only live two, three years, Thompson. Yeah. Kill, Most kill, of them live a year. Killing a young buck, mm -hmm. it just takes away a, a future big buck. So killing a big buck might actually give you a, another chance at a, a good buck next year because now you got that one that might not have lived and now is gonna live another year. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as people follow the laws, mm -hmm. I mean, the way that uh, our biologists and our laws and rules and regs are set up, it's to protect the deer, yeah. you know, and to grow what we, I've heard old old timers who did it the old way. Damn, trail cameras gonna ruin everything, you know. And trail cameras aren't gonna ruin anything. But have you ever heard that from the older ones? I have. I mean, I, I know people that are dead against them, and I don't know. How could you be dead against I, trail cameras? Some people think it it actually scares the deer, and the deer, you know, will go around them, you know, but. To me, they I mean, do nothing. You hear the same thing about the underwater cameras for fishing and how good electronics yeah. are and all that. I mean, still don't keep you from being scuffed. <laughs> I mean, just look at the success people have with trail cameras. Yeah. To yeah. me, it just makes you makes it that much more of, it's fun. It, I mean, it's you're interactive with the deer. You know yeah. what's there. Well, one of my favorite things, and this is a goal that I have every year and you do the same thing. Uh, you get a certain deer picked out. You get like an, okay, that's my, that's number one, but I would also probably shoot that one if he came through. It will save you from shooting a smaller deer because you know this deer's but yeah, here. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, and yeah, so. Before you'd be, oh, right, that's a, that's a nice deer, I'm gonna yeah. shoot him. And I mean, yeah, so I think that one, one thing I really enjoy about deer hunting is getting a target deer. And it's not like you're just deer hunting, you're hunting a deer, you know what I mean? It kind of adds to it for me. Yeah. And if you can take that deer you're after, like, I mean, going through these years here, the past five years, three of the five, I got the deer I was after. And those are my favorite three deer of those five. Like, especially like the one, the redemption buck that, you know, I'd hunted him yeah. hard. I knew him, I had trail cam picks for two years. I had both his sheds from the year before. He's the one I wanted. He's the one I shot. And we looked for him for a week. Brandon was out there looking. I mean, Chad from the TV show was out there helping me look, look for him for a week. And then I checked my trail camera and he'd, he'd been alive the whole time. Mm. Went back out there and stuck him a month later. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, that deer means a whole lot to me. That 10 pointer had his shed, saw him for three years leading up to when I shot him. Only deer I wanted that year. Got him. And I mean. So it'll make you more selective over. Absolutely. You know. It adds a, a challenge too. And sure, you could go out with a spotting scope and pick out a certain deer, but when you have those trail cam pictures of that deer, it's like, all right, this is the one. And then you're flipping through the trail cam pics and you see that deer, that's him. He's mm -hmm. here. And it kind of makes it. I don't want to say more personal with the deer because it's not like you're, you know, being personal. I mean, you but it's a, it does. It's a relationship with. Yeah, it, it, picking out a single deer and hunting that single deer is a adds an extra challenge, but it also adds an extra reward. That's how I feel about mm -hmm. it. We in the magazine we run an article every year from Bill Cooper who pretty much writes about big deer and he'll have a roundup of some of the big bucks in Kentucky and every one 
I saw him on the trail cam. I saw him on the oh, trail yeah. cam. I saw him on the trail cam. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah. Well, that's you know, I read those articles too. I like I like that edition. Yeah, that's it's probably one of the most popular because I mean they're all beautiful. Yeah. Right? It has a highlight like a half page photo of last year. Yeah. Really, mm-hmm. has a half page photo of the person with their deer or their mount, and, and it, he, it's he like takes a full page story. And, yeah. huh. That's what's the story. It's it's one of our most. Popular. What's that come out in? Uh, the fall. The fall magazine. Mm-hmm. But it'll be talking about the deer that were taken the fall yeah. before. It's still cool. It's some of the biggest deer taken in the state. Yeah. And I, another thing I like about let's see, it is in the. Is it in the guide that the, the trophy deer list is published? We put it in the calendar too, but we have it in the guide as well. Okay, so some in, years we put it in the in, calendar. in the calendar. That's where I see it at. Mm-hmm. In the calendar, they have the two-page report that shows all the biggest deer score-wise taken mm-hmm. the year before. <laughs> I mean, it's like eighty-seven deer listed. I always just scroll through the counties, yeah. and I see Franklin County. Stop, look, mm-hmm. and then you know I kind of take note of all that stuff. And a lot of times, oh no, oh no, oh no. Or you got uh, there's oh, some, is full of yeah. There's some counties out west that yeah, Christian, 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 Todd, 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 yeah. There's that one guy in Todd County that killed those. I told you about that guy, right? I don't know. Uh, if you looked at it, 2014, 15, and 16, the smallest deer he took with a bow those three years went 230. Wow. 230, 240, 250. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was on an elk hunt years ago, and, and this guy was uh, from East Kentucky, and he, was, he had a nice temple, very proud of it. He mm-hmm. was showing it around, and uh, these guys from out there crofting, and uh, he goes, uh, well, that's, that's a little deer right there. Oh, <laughs> you know, that, guy. <laughs> that guy was so you could have fried an egg on this for you. <laughs> Up there, we, we wouldn't even brag on that deer where I'm from. That's that's a little deer right there. <laughs> like that. And that guy was like, you could see his face just beat red. He was mad as a wet end. I haven't punched anybody in a really long time. But, <laughs> but I mean, corn galore, soybeans galore. Uh, I mean, there's yeah. just big bucks galore where he's from that part of the world. You know, I will say every year, it's it's weird, and I'm sure Brandon knows this too. You can run trail cameras all the time. And you can think you have a really good idea. Seems like every year in November, something's just going to show up, and you're mm-hmm. like, what, "Where the heck did that deer come from?" Yep. And it's usually a giant. Yep. Sometimes, and deer will get killed, and no, no, nobody will have a trail cam picture of it. Nobody's seen that deer. We had that happen last year. My dad he spent about three weeks trying to kill a giant deer that just had shown up. Yep. And uh, it was in November. And he just disappeared again. And yeah, November can be. Well, those, they get big for a reason. Yeah, well, that's what he said earlier. He said gun season, you know, early November, mid-November can be a really fun time time to hunt because you never know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can you might want to sit in your stand all day if you're hunting November because it. Uh, I don't think it matters if you're out there at first light or out there at ten o'clock in the afternoon or you know. Mm-hmm. All right, percentage of people who fall asleep in the stand. <laughs> <laughs> I've been really tired in the stand before. Problem with my stands is they just aren't that comfortable. Yeah, and if I, I think about, I'm if they're on the ground blind or something. What do you think percentage is? Oh, way more. I've climbed down and just took a nap on the ground underneath my stand before. I bet your dad's falling asleep in the stand. Oh, I guarantee it. He probably does that every. I remember day. when I was younger, I'd go and he would, uh, he would be somewhere else on the same farm, and I would go down there. I'd set my phone on my chest, so when he called me, I would. I'm like, no, I haven't seen anything. I'd, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be, I'd been sleeping for an hour. <laughs> if I, I mean, it's hard to do that sometimes. I, I, I never fall asleep in the stand. I never have either, but... My uncle, he doesn't hunt a whole lot. and He met Chad one day, and he said, Chad, I've got a perfect story for you if you ever want to go out with me. And we, Chad gets that all the time, so I was kind of like, oh, gosh, what do we got? What's he going to offer up? He's like, I will show you how to take the perfect nap in the woods. <laughs> so, I mean, there are people out there that take pride in how, how well they can sleep out there. And, I mean... I'm, I've probably been more tempted to take naps while turkey hunting than deer hunting. I'd take naps turkey hunting every year. <laughs> Wake up and got ticks all over you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that's you know earlier we were talking about people that say I'm not hunting September. September's too hot. I mean yeah, being hot and sweating a whole lot really stinks. But mosquitoes are my least favorite part. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're hunting near creeks. Some of the hottest I've ever been is a dove field early September. Mm-hmm. That's some of the hottest Stand I've ever been in my life because sitting out, especially mm-hmm. in the middle. I mean it's fine, but you're like Lord. Yep. I'm cooking. Backwater. Let's see. Another thing that me and Brandon disagree about is uh, peeing out of your stand. I'm, uh, I don't do it. I do it. I take a bottle with me and I fill, oh, wow. that, fill that bad boy up if I have to go. So, I mean, sometimes I find myself where, you know, I've got my, my one liter b- water bottle. And I've really got to be. Mommy never borrow a bottle from me. Use bottle to Like Bob, Bobby's been on the podcast before. And, and Brandon knows Bobby too. Bobby's dad's actually both of our taxidermists. Uh-huh. But um, 
like Bobby one time he handed me a water bottle. He's like, oh, no, not that one. Here, use this one. He's like, this is my pee bottle. And so Bobby, he just like dumps it out and swishes some water around in it, dumps that out and just fills it right back up. He doesn't care, but that's Bobby's his own man. Yeah. I take like a 30, like a Gatorade bottle and I fill it up with water and I take it hunting with me. And then I found myself before where I've had to pee so bad that I just chugged the rest of that bottle, three quarters of a bottle of water. So I had something to pee I just, in. I let it fly. Let's it fly right out of the stand. Mm -hmm. See, I, that goes back to the whole scent thing. I feel like if a deer can smell that good and they can smell another deer's urine and tell exactly what gender and what dominance level that deer is, they've got to be able to smell yours. I can smell my own sometime and tell what well, I these, eat. These ain't coffee. <laughs> yeah. I smell like coffee. See, if, if I would, Do you have if broccoli I, lunch? If I drank coffee, I probably wouldn't have done it, but... I've, I've always just never even given that a second thought. My dad, it was because my dad has never given it a second thought. And he hunts a lot of the same tree stands I do, so. Well, you know, back in the day, how hardly anybody had camo. I know yeah. people used to go out with a buffalo plaid oh, shirt and blue uh, jeans. That's another thing. I don't think camo is nearly as important as people make it it's, out to be. It's all and, about when you move. Yeah. It's about when you giants, move. giants, you know, and sit yeah. out there in the dove field and yeah. kill bird well, left and right. The only time I really ever... I mean, I, I wear camo when I go deer hunting. I, sometimes I'll wear a pair of khaki pants or green pants. But I mean, I usually wear a camo top because that's where my movement comes from. But the only time I really ever stress the camo is when I'm hunting on the ground. Mm -hmm. And that's one of my favorite ways to hunt is just back up against a tree on the ground. Something about being eye level with the deer is it's like you're right there with them. Chad does that a lot with his big pistol, doesn't he? Yeah, well, <laughs> he, he would really prefer to be in a stand. But a lot of times when we're going out for the show, we're taking a gun. I, I push, let's do something a little different. Let's, instead of being in a tree stand, let's go try to hunt on the ground and make it a little bit different. He's mm -hmm. got that 454 Casul. Yeah, he's got the same one that I'm dealing with. I never yeah. have taken a deer with it though. But, um, I'm surprised you still have wrists. <laughs> it's like, I mean, bad. a 44 Magnum's plenty for me. That thing is. You can for shoot 45 long colt through it though. So that's not bad. Yeah, I bet. Um, hunting on the ground is a lot of fun, but I, when I hunt on the ground, I wear like a, a leafy camo. And that's just to break up my silhouette. Yeah, Isn't I that the whole purpose of camo anyway? Mm -hmm. Just to break up your eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the seventies splotchy stuff that yeah, some yeah. people think are is coming back. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it is. Still works. You don't want to go sit against a four inch in diameter tree and mm -hmm. just sit up against that yeah. and because that's not gonna break it's your, all about breaking up your I found a big tree up. and maybe a down a down tree next to it or something, and I'll sit up against that and I love on I love hunting on the ground. Yeah, I, I shot several does last year from the ground. I shot that deer in Indiana up yeah. on the ground. So last year, we both tagged out. Let's see, I got the dates right here. 10-5 for me and 9-7 for Brandon. So we were both tagged out before pre-rut even hit. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't remember, was it the 20th, the weekend of the 20th? It was the 27th I shot 27th. that deer. 27th. So we took a trip up to Indiana and hunted some public land. Same thing a lot of people do when they come to Kentucky to hunt. You know, I've, I've hunted Ohio in Indiana now. I never have killed a buck up there because, I mean, it's hard to get up there with no scouting, no, no nothing. You go in blind, and it's really hard to, in two days' time, get yourself on a on a deer that you, you know, the standard that we have when we go out of state to shoot a deer isn't the same. No. Like, Brandon, what did you say in a text earlier? You said... If I saw a 65-inch deer, I mean, he was getting smoked. <laughs> I didn't but yeah, no, pretty much. Any, the second day we were there, if it had a, if it had any kind of antler, he was getting, he the was getting deer, shot. The deer that you took in Indiana was a good deer. Yeah. It wasn't a, it wasn't compared to no, your other deer. I wouldn't have even thought about it. But, but you said that when you had it coming in towards you, your heart was just pounding. Uh, more so than any other deer I've ever killed. I was, <laughs> Sitting on the ground, you know... He's got this buck walking towards you, and even though it's not the biggest buck in the world, you know, just heart just pounding out of your yeah. chest. And that's, a, I mean, that's that's why I don't necessarily think that the, you know, a big buck is t to anybody what a big buck is to them. For me, I kind of have a standard that I want to try to hit each year, mm -hmm. but somebody else has a different standard that's, you know, as long as it gets your heart pumping like that. Yeah, if that deer comes in and turns me on, I mean, he's getting shot. I you kind of worded that way. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying I mean, if he comes in and, get, and gets me fired up, I mean, I'm going to shoot him. Yeah. Like, even if he's not my biggest deer, I mean, he's going to get shot. I mean, I, a few years ago, let's see what year that was, 2014. Um, Brandon and another buddy were hunting a farm together, right? And uh, well, I didn't talk about that one. <laughs> I've done it. No, they shot up, you know, and we're all in this text message group. So I'm sitting there. I think I'm hunting somewhere too, yeah. separate. And all of a sudden, I get a text message from Scott. Just shot, shot him, shot, shot a deer. Yeah. And so, and then, you know, about half an hour goes by, it's starting to get a little bit lower light. 
a text message from Brandon comes in. I just shot one too. So I'm like, all right, I'm heading to this farm. We're going to go over there and we're going to find these deer. And we go down to where Scott's was first. You know, I think he'd already found the deer before I got there. Yeah. So he had his deer on the ground. It was the one he was after. I had shot my deer and then went to Scott before even looking for my deer. Yeah. So, so Scott had this nice deer. I think it went like 141 or something. Something like that. Nice, mature, non-pointer, if I remember right. And we were all sitting around, like five of us, all buddies, just sitting there like, man, nice deer and all this stuff. And all right, it's time to go find Brandon's. How big was it, Brandon? Oh, he was a good deer. He was nice. He was a good deer. It's probably 140. I can't remember what he said. And <laughs> we start blood trailing it. And we walked up on it. And it was like, I mean. Not even 100 inches. <laughs> somehow, you know, especially when it starts getting a little bit lower light, your mind can play tricks on you. Mm -hmm. And you see that rack and it just, well, there was multiple bucks running around, and I don't know if I had lost sight of him and then saw another deer. I mean, the deer, when I shot the deer, he had his head in a cedar tree. Okay, mm -hmm. so you couldn't see the... So I couldn't see so his rack, but I was like, that, that that's him. Yeah, so you felt, sure enough, that it was the right deer yeah. when you let the arrow fly. It turns out you were only 90% positive and 100% wrong. Yeah. And so when he, we walked up on that that deer that, you know, Brandon, his heart just dropped out of his chest. That was a, that was a bad night. Same thing happened to another buddy of ours, Corey, uh, Two years ago i was there for that one because brandon talked him into it <laughs> they were hunting on the ground together and i will say when you hunt on the ground it can be really deceiving because mm -hmm. you're used to looking at a deer from a deer stand and you know getting a good look at it getting that certain angle on the ground you feel like you're in a hurry mm -hmm. you know to make a decision because you don't have as much time and your eye level with them things just look more impressive and so that deer came in to Brandon and Corey, and they were hunting together, and Brandon's like, he's a good deer, he's a good deer. He said, are you sure? I said, yeah, you need to shoot that deer. <laughs> uh, and he wasn't five yards away, and Corey smoked him. But. Yeah, Corey smoked him, but another one of those heart dropped out of here, because when they got up to him, he was much smaller than they thought. Ground shrinkage. <laughs> Ground shrinkage is a very real thing. Yeah, and yeah. that's another thing about trail cameras. Anytime you've been full of, oh, God, it's a great fish here. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Well, a drag line, you get it's like, oh, it's half the size. I thought it was. Well, that's a, that's another thing about trail cameras, though, is because it wouldn't help Brandon because he just didn't see the de the rack on the deer he was shooting. He got too confused. But Corey, he, that was a new deer to him. He didn't know that deer. You know, he didn't have trail cam pics of it, and so he was he made a mistake. Mm -hmm. But if you know a deer and you got a specific deer picked out, chances are you've studied that deer's rack from every angle. Mm -hmm. Now you've compared it to his ears, you've got a guess on how big he's gonna score. Ground and shrinkage doesn't happen to you when you're running trail cameras, like it does when you're just shooting a random Usually deer. when I see a buck, I know exactly what buck that is. Yeah, that's how, that's how it is for me too. So I've, I've watched them all summer long. I'm... And if you run trail cameras and, and scout the same property for multiple years, you'll, the first time you'll see you see a deer, you'll you'll know which buck that was the year before, possibly the year before that. You know, you can get three years worth of knowledge on these deer, and then that's when I mean, you start seeing them make jumps. Mm -hmm. I don't know which jumps most impressive: one and a half to two and a half, two and a half, three and a half, three and a half, four and a half. I always thought like the two and a half to three and a half is a pretty good jump. Yeah, uh, I like the. Usually, to me, it's like a three and a half to four and a half, yeah. or four and a half to five and a half. It's, it's a, it's a, it's different for each deer. Too. Yeah, it is. Like the deer I, I shot a few years ago, it. I mean, I have trail cam pics on my phone of what he was one year and what he was the year the after. Now, he went from like one, fifteen, one twenty to one forty two or one forty seven, which is a pretty good jump. Ten pointer I shot a couple years ago went from one twenty five to one fifty five. I mean, that's a twenty seven thirty inch jump. I mean, that's probably. A three and a half to four and a half jump. So it's kind of cool when you're running trail cameras for multiple years to be able to, you know, see how much your deer grow to. And there's some deer that just don't grow that much. We have these bucks back here at Slato, and they're both the same age. They're both three and a half right now. And one of them is much bigger than the other. You know what I mean? And he, and the other. Genetics? Yeah, genetics. Some deer have different potential than other deer. Mm -hmm. And I read somewhere that only 1% of all deer ever have the potential to hit 160, wow. to be a booner. Only 1% of all deer actually can get that big. Wow. So that means even if, you know, the vast majority of deer out there, if they live to be six and a half years old, probably gonna top out at 150 something. Hmm. There are some really impressive looking 150 inch deer out there though. Oh, there is. When you think about all the deer that, I think about it this way. Me, you, Corey, Scott, all those people, has anybody killed a booner out of all of us? 158's your biggest, 155 is my biggest. Yeah. Caleb killed a booner one time? If Caleb's the only one of us that killed a booner. But I'm that like, is it, a, it's, it has to be net, a net 160, yeah, right? I guess that's probably how they do it. Yeah. His went like 161 gross. Yeah. 
That's three year book, correct? Yeah. That's what now? Three year book. 170 is all time, correct? I'm not sure um, on that. I know that it's 160 or 185 for typical versus non typical. Yeah. I'm not sure about the, the all time. You're the you're the records guy. Well, you probably know more about that than we do. Yeah. Kevin actually is. I keep the fish hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, Kevin's in charge of the deer. Well, uh, actually, Yancey keeps a lot of that, and then we put it in the guide every year. I was looking for that picture here. You got anything you want to add, Lee? I mean, I've well, got one thing that's happened over the last week that's oh, very heard, interesting is um, the press release just came out yesterday. Is uh, something was in the water in the month of May, a guy named uh, Dennis Ray out of Louisville caught the state record saw guy out of Giss Creek. It was six pounds, 13 ounces. That was May 3rd, if memory serves correctly. Um, May 21, uh, a man by the name of Clay Smith from Lexington was uh, trolling crankbaits on the Cumberland River, right in the area of uh, uh, downstream of uh, Rainbow Run. If any of you that know the river well will we'll know that area is in Russell County going toward Winfrey's Ferry and in that general direction. And he was trolling a Berkeley flicker shad and caught a fish that he would thought at first was a monster trout or a giant walleye. And when he got in the boat, he said, this has got to be a walleye. And his fishing partner said, no, that's a sauger. Well, it turns out it was both. Except the new state record, eight pounds, 8.8 .8 ounces. <clears throat> it took him a while to figure out what to do because uh, he kept getting conflicting uh, um, views on if this is uh, saw or sauger or is this is walleye. So he brought it up here to the to the uh, headquarters and uh, a, a group of our uh, finest fisheries biologists observed it and uh, looked at all the moristics and determined it to be a saw guy. So we just uh, certified that uh, last week. And so the new state record saw guy is eight pounds, 8.8 .8 ounces, which is an absolute monster. Yeah. And they ran into a man by the name of Rasty Andrews at the ramp and he's caught the state record uh, Sauger, which is seven pounds, seven ounces, <laughs> also from the Cumberland River. What's the state record walleye? Um, 21 pounds, eight. It's, so there's, it's, there's still room for these saw guy to keep growing. Getting yes. Bigger. That's why but, the record's getting beaten, too. But uh, the, the thing that's interesting about this is uh, we contacted Tennessee, and, and, um, and th there's a high probability that fish is a natural hybrid. They do hybridize. It's pretty rare, but they do hybridize. Yeah. And Jeff Crosby, who you know, went out. I watched your segment on farm pond fishing the other day. It was good. Enjoy? Oh, yeah. That's good. Um, and Jeff believes if there's any place in Kentucky that this could happen, the Cumberland River would be because of there's big walleye and big sauger in the mm -hmm. river along with big trout. So, yeah. um, you know, not 100%. Could be some that were stocked, you know, in another state and migrated, but um, fairly confident that it is a natural uh, hybrid. That's pretty sweet. How many years ago were they introduced into Guest Creek? It's been um, about four say, yeah, or five, four or five. Like that. They, they, and there's already one that's being caught at six, six pounds. Yeah, yeah, that's what Brandon told me he caught one that went over six last year. I thought it. I mean, and he was and he was long. He was, it was in Guest Creek. Now, everybody's like, where do you? I get a lot of calls. Where do you fish for them? Where do you fish for them? Um, mud flats are a pretty good place to start, don't you think? And there's more shallow. A lot of people said they're shallower than than you would think. See, oh, I've had good luck for them in the channel. Of the headwaters yeah. before. Yeah, I've saw. Well, I saw you. No, I yeah. saw a Sloan catch one. I've seen your I, pictures. I, I, I caught several in the same spot. Channel of the headwaters. Taylorsville has them too. Yeah, Taylorsville. That's where we were. Salt River. I haven't fished the headwaters of Guess, but I'm I'm assuming that. But my understanding is a lot of the year that they will be on the mud flats. I mean, sense. there's a lot of mud flats in yeah. Guess Creek, so yeah. we're not we're not speaking out of school. Some but, people who fish and for Taylorsville them, too. Some people who fish for them in Guess Creek a lot. You know when you drive down 60, this mm -hmm. isn't going to make sense to people who haven't dri drive down 60. The part you can see from the road easily. You can see that spot from the road. There's a bend on the opposite side of the lake over there. Yeah. People tell me that flat coming out of that bend is a good spot for them. And that's okay. pretty close to the dam. Probably got deep water nearby. Mm -hmm. so. And suspending jerk bait works pretty yeah. well done. I, used, I was using little, little jigs. Mm -hmm. I've heard people to. crappie fishing like, what's yeah. this? And yeah. it's a saga. That's where, I mean, I caught them during the white bass run this year at Taylorsville, and that's throwing jigs, but I was throwing heavier jigs and getting out well, that further. That day y'all were filming, Sloan caught two, Rick two. caught one and Sloan caught one right and they there. And they were trolling the channel. Yeah. So they, were, they weren't trolling, they were jigging the channel, yeah. but just going up and down. Yeah, that, that's uh, it's one of my favorite fish to eat. This right here is that deer I was saying, that's a one wow. year jump. So Beauty. Top is the one year, bottoms of the year after. Wow, that is. Yeah. And we have beautiful genetics here in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. you know? A lot of deer do. And uh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go deer hunting. Me too. See, I had other bullet points here. Uh, the um, creeks are fishing extremely well right now. We finally have good water. Yeah, I've got, that's one of my bullet points is uh, I caught a big small yesterday uh, fishing in a creek that Brandon knows pretty well too in Shelby County. Um, 
I pulled one out, went over 18. Another guy fishing caught one over 18 as well. Uh, I've heard the Elkhorn's on fire. I'm assuming that's probably pretty similar to all the creeks across hey, you know, the state. A lot of medium fish right now. I'm not hearing good reports of people catching big ones, but numbers are great and a lot of medium chunkies. Mm -hmm. Fish that oxygenated water. Yep. That's what, that's what I would say. And it's been high. It jumped back up. It was 304 this morning. That was 800 earlier in the week, so it's dropped precipitously. Green River's at 388. The outflow is. That's a little high. Uh, give that. If we don't get any rain, give that two weeks. It should be good. Barron River's blowing out. It's 3,189. Buck Creek's 99, which is down in the Somerset. A lot of people don't realize that's a wonderful stream. Beautiful. Uh, that's about perfect. It's a little low. And South Licking's 914 at Hayes, but the upstream, that should be okay. Well, there we go. That's our update on the uh, fishing well, report. I, I look at it, you know, a few yeah. times a day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say uh, me and Brandon, we are planning on Brandon and I. That's the proper way to say it. I need to get better with my mm -hmm. grammar and phonetics. Oh, really, Brandon? You're shaking your head. <laughs> yes. I need to do that. But so we're going to try to hit the falls today. So what I'm going to do is take this podcast and turn it around real quick and get it out there, and I'm going to split. Go for hybrids? That's the goal. I really want to go catch. Got some big ones the other day. Those are impressive. I want to get out there. I want to go. And I tell you what, if we can't catch hybrids, I'm just going to put something with a big hook on it and snag Asian carp because they put up a good fight, too. But um, anyway, so that's what we're going to do. I say we call it quits today for this one. I had fun. With, and uh, Excellent. Appreciate you coming on, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Now everybody's going to expect you to kill first week this year. It's going to be me or my dad. <laughs> Depends on. I hope y'all smoke a big hybrid. Oh, yeah. Well, I, if I catch one, I might literally smoke it. Yeah. You know, we'll see. Very delicious. See what happens. Anyway, thank you all. Appreciate it.